Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. How long would it take for you to clock up 310 miles on a bike? If you were new to cycling, that could take weeks. For today's guest though, it only took 24 hours. Joining us in this episode is Caroline Bloom, winner of the women's 2021 Palo Duro Canyon 24-hour road race. We talk about how she went from not even being able to finish a 5K to a second place finish at the 2019 Ultraman in Florida in just five years. Well, welcome back everyone to Stand Up Pedal Action. While this is a mountain bike focused podcast, as we've said from the beginning, there are times when we can branch out as well. And we know that many of you who are in the cycling world came to mountain biking either from the road or other disciplines. And some of you, whether we admit it or not, when we're all dressed up like enduro bros at the top of the trail, might be interested in other kinds of riding too. Maybe even running or maybe even swimming. Call it tri-curious, if you will. There are some of us who might be interested in other disciplines. So today, we have with us in the studio someone who can do things that most of us would probably be terrified to even think about We've got Caroline Bloom with us today. And Josh, why don't you take it away with the rest of the introduction? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's an honor. <laughs> it's, um, so, Caroline, we looked up some of your accolades. I'm sure we're going to miss some of them, but uh, wanted to at least throw some out there. Um, you, you are a ultra-endurance athlete um, yep. doing all sorts of running, riding, swimming, um, cause, cause the Ironman wasn't enough. Like you, you went further. Well, I did the Ironman just to qualify for the ultra. Oh, there we go. There we go. Um, and <clears throat> it sounds like you've done a whole lot of sprint Olympic Ironman and Ultraman races. And most recently just finished a 24 hour road race in Palo Duro Canyon down in te- Texas. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Um, you were first place and yes. you did about 310 miles. Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. In 24 hours. That's, that's a shocking distance and doesn't really compute all the time in my mind, but what, uh, we would love to hear your backstory and how you got into all of this and, uh, you know, from your first time on a bike to, gaining the the running and swimming component or whichever came first and then moving towards where you are now. Yeah, sure. Um, I was the kid in PE class that walked the mile in 19 minutes and the whole class was done and they were waiting for that one kid to finish the mile. <laughs> um, I was a musician. I didn't want to get hurt. I got notes out of PE class when it was volleyball time because I didn't want to hurt my wrists and risk not being able to play. So I was a really unathletic child. I'm an only child. I did puzzles for fun and stayed inside in the air conditioning mainly. Um, and then I, my first job uh, in Orlando, they had a corporate 5K and half the staff was running a 5K. And I was like, well, I can, I can do that. Um, but turns out I couldn't, I couldn't even run a mile. And that was infuriating. It was really annoying that I couldn't run a mile. So I started running uh, I guess we could call it a jog. I was a jogger. Jogging, um, yeah. Yeah. And I started signing up for half marathons and things. And then I moved to Austin and did another half marathon. And 
they, you know, you pick up your packet and they have a bunch of little postcards in there for upcoming events. And there was a triathlon and it was two miles from my house. So I was like, well, that's right around the corner. It's right when school gets out. I should do that. I have a mountain bike from when I was 12 in my mom's garage. Like I'll (laughs) ride that. How bad could it be? Yeah, it's fine. So I swim. It was a super sprint too. So it was even shorter than a sprint. It was like basically a five minute swim, I think a 10 mile bike and a two mile run or something. So I, I'm swimming and I'm from Florida. I can swim, right? Oh, I don't, not, not really. So that was rough. Um, I just got a Facebook reminder and I posted on Facebook about to get in the water one week before my first ever triathlon. Don't recommend. So I must've swam once. (laughs) I don't remember, but I must've swam once. Um, Got on the mountain bike. It was a hilly course. My gears didn't change. It was broken. And I remember like in triathlon, you write your age. Your age is written on your calf. And an 80-year-old woman passed me. And as she passed me, she looked at me and she goes, you're working way too hard. And then just took off. And I was like, what oh my just gosh. happened? <laughs> and so I finished. And a lot of people were walking their bikes, but I am way too stubborn for that. And then um, I couldn't even run the whole two miles And I was like, I can do half marathons. I can't even run two miles. And that just made me more angry. So uh, the more I couldn't do it, the more I wanted to try. So I did, I think, two more little sprints or something that summer. And the next summer, I was going to be super serious and, you know, and did a couple more little races. We had some bad weather. I think my first Olympic turned into a 10K run. Um, So it wasn't, I I bought my first bike in 2016. like a real bike, Craigslist special, and I was too scared to ride it. So my friends test rode it in the parking lot because I wouldn't even get on it. And then I had to just try, I just got home by myself in the, in the driveway and was like, okay, I'm going to ride this bike now. Um, so that was kind of how it started. And then I had a coworker who was doing Ultraman and I didn't know what that was, but it was in Orlando and I had a house we could stay out in Orlando. So I was like, well, I'll come. I don't know what this is, but Sounds like a lot. And so at that point, that was February of 2017, I had done maybe five or six triathlons, little tiny triathlons. And um, I walked in and I went, I'm doing this. And everyone's like, excuse me? And I was like, I don't know. I'm I'm doing this. Like, I'm doing this race. Like, I, the people, the atmosphere, everything about it was, it was like, just I knew. I knew. And I met some a group of people there. One of them ended up being my coach, Jeremy Howard. Um, and I met him in line at Bike Check with my with the athlete I was helping. And um, the race was over. And I got, had gotten a new Garmin watch I didn't know how to use. And I was messaging Jeremy like every day, how do you do this? How do you do this? And he was like, can you just figure this out? <laughs> and, and then um, he eventually ended up becoming my coach a couple months later. And, you know, he'll say, like, he'll say, you know, she didn't know anything, but she was really determined. Like he wrote a little thing after my Ultraman race and said that she didn't really know a lot. She didn't have a background, but she was really determined. And that's kind of how it was. I could barely ride a bike. Um, I didn't know anything about heart rate and training and I didn't know how to swim really. I didn't know a good run form. So it took, it was a three-year plan to get to Ultraman. So every race I did basically from 2017 to 2020 was all geared towards Ultraman. 
I never raced an event to race an event. Everything I did was at Ultraman, you will do this. So we're going to prepare by doing this. Um, which is hard when you see people run by you and swim by you and bike by you and you think I could probably keep up with them, but you're following a plan and you have to stick to that plan. And everything was to ultra Ultraman. Um, and it was my favorite weekend of my life, basically. So, you know, trained for three years and you get there and, um, I got second place, which was a little bit of a disappointment only cause I think three out of the seven years I would have won with my time. But a pro showed up, and you can't help when a pro shows up. Um, and she <laughs> no, was amazing. She's localish. She's in Boulder, Dee Dee Griesbauer, and she almost was the overall champion. She's a beast, and just being around her, I felt like a better athlete. So yeah. to lose to her was an honor. But uh, yeah, so I I think uh, in a roundabout way to get back to what I just did at the twenty four hours, I, cycling was my my weakest sport. So mm -hmm. I just had to learn how to be better because you're on the bike for so much of these races. So this is the fourth time I've gone to the 24-hour event. Um, never raced it in this way. I've kind of gone, tried to stay on my bike as much as possible, kind of dawdled around on the bike, I would say. But this was my first actual real go at it. But anytime I could make myself uncomfortable on a bike, um, I did because I'm not good in wind. I Still can't really do a U-turn, um, <laughs> but uh, anytime I can put myself in a in a situation where I can get better on the bike, that's that's what I did. Now I'm at a bike working at a bike shop for that reason too, just to engulf myself in in cycling. So, wow, very very nice. Um, so this this event that you did this last weekend, it this was actually a, like a consolation event. It wasn't your initial plan, it right? It wasn't the initial plan. So. Um, so Ultraman is like my jam, like the three day, three day triathlon to me is, and like I said, the family and the people, it's, it's my favorite event that there is. Um, and, and just for those who don't know, what are the distances oh, of an Ultraman? Day one is a 10 K swim followed by a 91 mile bike. Day two is 171 mile bike and day three is a double marathon. Just hmm. wanted to get, just wanted to set the tone here yeah. because again, we just went from couldn't run a 5k mm -hmm. to that unbelievable distance. And if I caught it right, you said you were mad that you got second when most people would be happy to just survive without being put in a medically induced coma. And actually, yeah, when I first had my first talk ever with my coach before he was even my officially my coach, we sat there and said, do we think that I can finish? Like that's where, and there's an award yeah. for the person who's last place. And I was like, well, I just want to finish. And I, and I don't, what I kept saying to myself was, I don't want the race directors to regret letting me in. Like, I don't want a yeah. DNF. Like I want to prove to them that they should let me in. And most people, they, it's a smaller event. It's only 30 to 40 people usually. And they introduce everyone. So, you know, Joe Schmo, 15 Ironman, Mary Sue, 100 Ironman. And they go through and it was like Caroline Bloom, one Ironman, you know, <laughs> because I did what I needed to qualify. And, yeah. and to my coach and, and to, to me too, doing all these extra things wasn't actually going to help me. We mm -hmm. just needed to get me in and then continue training for Ultraman. So I, on paper, was really unimpressive compared to basically everyone else in the room. Like, oh, this person did this many marathons and, and they interview you before. And, and Steve King is great. He, I've met him year after year at all these Ultraman events. And he's like, so you've only did one Ironman. And I just looked at my coach and I was like, yeah. 
He's like, so you didn't choose to do any marathons this year? I looked at my coach and I was like, no. And he was like, oh, so I see uh, you're a strong cyclist. And I'm like, no. And (laughs) he's like, I see you've done 24 hours. And I look at my coach and I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. And so I felt almost like imposter syndrome, like, you know. Yeah. So, but I also, in the back of my head, knew I put in three years of work. Like, I knew it was going to go well. Um, but there was a time in the beginning, right before the race, where I was like, oh, snap. Like, like what did I just yeah. do? Um, but so that that race is my jam. And um, the I am hoping to do Ultraman Canada next summer. But with COVID, they're having a Canadian-only race this year because people can't get in. Right. And because of that, people might be deferring to next summer, so I may not get to race. So I'm still waiting on that. But um, we kind of have planned all of my my events around Ultraman and how to how to play things in mm-hmm. around that race. And so my coach came to me. He was like, "There's this double anvil in Oregon, and there's prize money, which there's no prize money in triathlon unless you're in the Ironman right. top pro pro. Like you're not making anything. And I that's not why I do it. But I was like, well, that'd be cool to go race and make enough money to cover the cost of the race. You know, right? Like let's not lose money today. Like yeah, it's, like yeah. the cost, the prize money would be enough to cover the Airbnbs, getting all my crew there, all the food, getting to Oregon, all the race registration. So I was like, that would be really cool. And so I was training pretty hard for that. I got Ruby and I had the course uploaded on Ruby with the kicker climb and I was riding the course eight hours, you know, or eight loops at a time. I was doing six, six and a half hours on the trainer every week, just riding the course and getting ready for the course and speed walking because the course was hilly and I'd be doing speed walking and learning mm-hmm. how to do that and all of these things. And then it got, so yeah, then the race got canceled on my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Oh, um, that's terrible. And it was a bummer because I had someone flying in from Hawaii, someone flying in from California, one from Florida, and mm. me, two people from, from here. So I was like, all these people had plans, and I felt really bummed about that. Uh, but immediately I was like, 24 hours in the canyon, because I was bummed. I almost said no to the double because of the canyon race, because it's like Ultraman. It's also a community of people mm-hmm. that I've been around for a long time now. So well, and there aren't that many twenty-four hour races going these days, at least in the mountain bike world, compared mm-hmm. to what there used to be. Yeah. Like ten years ago, you could find a lot more twenty-four hours. Now, feels like that calendar has condensed down to a lot more twelve-hour races. So mm-hmm. finding a twenty-four in the first place, a little harder to come by. And that's what's for for you mountain bike people out there. What's cool about the twenty-four hours in the canyon is there's six, twelve, and twenty-four hour races. And there's road and mountain at the same time. And there's solo and teams and competitive and non-competitive. And there's also a slicks and knobbies. So you can do the 100-mile road loop and then switch to your mountain bike and mountain bike the rest of the 24 hours. Wow. So it's like the coolest event ever. And all the money goes to a good cause for helping uh, cancer survivors. So it's just like the neatest event ever. And I just love being there. So We will have to remember that for the future. Yeah. I tried to get you there. Yeah, I know. You're... Oh. It's, it sounds like an amazing, amazing event. Is there like a big turnout every year for it too? This was the biggest. I don't know. 2016 was the first year I was there and I've never heard of it selling out, but I think with COVID and races getting canceled and, and availability of things, like they had to say, Hey, if you don't already have a campsite, like you can't come, like we don't have room. So, um, but most, I'd say the majority are mountain bikers that I don't see. They're off like mountain bike yeah, land off, like out in the trees yeah they're in like mountain bike land and then i'm in road land but uh we all do a mass start 
like all the 24-hour people do a mass group thing and then I turn right and go out of the canyon and all the mountain bike people turn left. So, you know, you kind of get to see the 24-hour, but the 12-hour starts at midnight and the 6-hour starts at 6 a.m. So you don't oh, wow. see yeah. that those people start. Wow. Well, I'd love to hear more about that event in a play-by-play, but I also would love to hear like how you uh, kind of got to where you are now in Colorado Springs. You're working at a bike shop and you're racing. Really, racing seems like your full-time job. <laughs> and- <laughs> um, so I said I was a music teacher for 13 years, and as I got into triathlon and running, um, I started to lose the passion for teaching and the kids knew like I never took a sick day cause I was sick. If I was out, everyone knew Miss Bloom had a race and, and <laughs> yeah. on Monday they would be like, where's your medal? Because that's, they just knew if I wasn't there and I was, you got like nine days a year off. I was gone 12 to 15 just to do Ragnars or this thing, that thing, this race out of town, um, help someone at this race out of town. So I was always gone and the kids knew and it got to the point that my last year, the principal asked me to be at career day as a athlete. She's like, oh, no oh, we need some people for career day. Can you be an athlete? And I was like, you don't, I, okay. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I could do that. And um, I, you know, I went in and told her I was leaving teaching and she's like, I know. I knew before, she's like, the second you set up this meeting, I knew what you were going to say. Um, and I got hired at a bike shop in Austin and then found out I was moving here. So I never started there. I, I kind of was an apprentice and built bikes for free for a while just to get my hands on bikes. Um, and was that part of your desire to get more into the cycling world in general as part of your path to Ultraman? Was that just part of like, hey, I need to know more about bikes? Or was that just kind of like, a, I need a job that will be flexible enough to let me train? Like, how did that work out? I wanted to know more about bikes. Okay. Um, and, and now working at a bike shop, I see people come in who can't fix their own flats. And they, they literally don't know a single thing about bikes. And that was me for a very short while. But I was scared to go for more than a mile from my house. Because what if I had a flat? How was I going to get home? Yeah. So. Um, I just think it's important to know as much as you can, you know, and mm-hmm. now with all the, the cycling, I coach set a kind of not a rule, but he was like, if you're gone for more than four days, your bike goes with you. And so I did a lot for Ultraman. I moved to Hawaii for a month to train in the winter. Cause I didn't want to be in snow. And I went to Florida for three weeks for the race for the same reason. And I did training camps in Arizona and I was all over race in Texas and I had to bring my bike and I had to know how to take it apart and put it back together and, you know, maintenance and do all the things. So I definitely wanted to be around bikes for, for a lot of reasons. Um, but I came here and I posted in face, I looked for triathlon groups and then I was like, Hey, anyone have a bike shop recommendation? And everyone, everyone wrote criterium. Every single person in the comments wrote criterium. Yeah. So I, when I got here, met the owner and um, never really had an interview. We just talked. He knew what Ultraman was. He wanted to do one. He's a triathlete. And he was like, okay, come build some bikes. And then I never built another bike. I ended up in the front, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, uh, I love, I love being there. So what, what initially brought you to Colorado? Uh, failed army relationship. Uh, Ooh. as, as is the case for many, yeah. I think, as it turns out. Yeah. So, but I'm still, I mean, I think I like to move. I just picked up and left Orlando and went to Austin. I was ready to leave Austin. I was 
going to move to North Carolina, um, but got talked into staying and coming, then coming here. So I, it's, I'm happy to be here. I don't regret moving out here. Um, I'm sure in a couple of years I'll be like, where do I go next? But it's a pretty place. So no complaints. Yeah. You could do a lot worse yeah. than here on the front range. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It sounds like with your, your training plan and racing plan, you spend a lot of time traveling as well and you get yeah. to go to a lot of places. Yeah. You know, this might be home. You get altitude training. Yeah, it's true. And we, we've been playing with that cause I've done some VO2 max metabolic threshold testing mm-hmm. at sea level. And then I've done it here now and trying to figure out in the different places I race, well, your heart rate might be 10 beats higher because you're back at sea level and kind of playing around with the data and figuring out how my body will respond, you know, in the different places and the advantages I'll get or how long I have to get there before I have any advantages. So we've, we've played with that too. Like the heat, I went to Florida three weeks early because of heat and getting reacclimated. And that's a strength of mine is racing in the heat. So even in the race last week in Texas, I think a strength of mine is that I don't mind. And I'll go out here at one in 1 PM and ride, you know, when everyone yeah. else is like, Oh, I went at 7 AM. Like I'm going to go at one. So actually less crowded yeah that sounds like an advantage these days yeah well and this this leads into something that um josh and i saw an interview you recently did where you were talking about what it is that keeps you going on the bike and you made reference to being a pretty data-driven or data-focused racer Mm -hmm. and this is something that i connect with pretty well like we just did the growler a couple of weeks ago and that was you know that's a human distance that's not like hundreds of miles it's a thing that normal people can do um but even for that, for me, there was a good bit of prep ahead of time of like, okay, segment by segment, looking at the trail, what, what does my speed need to be? Like, what wattage am I going to try to be at for all these different segments to know this is the plan? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's very similar to how you race. Yeah. And I think um, the plan at the double anvil that didn't happen in here is that there are, I, I go into it knowing that there are parts in the race where I will be dead last. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I was the last person to come out of the canyon. And there, I don't exactly know how many were in front of me, 20-ish, dead last. I had to keep my heart rate low. You can't come out of a, you know, start a 24-hour race full gas because you're going to end up sleeping right. later or curled up on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. So um, we definitely, my coach is, is really big on having a race plan. And um, the plan was to go keep my heart rate as low as possible. I went as slow as I could on the bike basically without falling over. Yeah. Um, and then I passed 11 people as I was riding and I was like, hi, hi, <laughs> hi. Um, and so that was a big part was just keeping my heart rate low. And, um, for this race, it wasn't as much power as heart rate because of the length of the event. And the other big one was nutrition. So having nutrition plan, having a heart rate plan, um, and sticking to that like really seriously. And yeah. then at the end I can kind of do like, the last 10% of the race. I can do what I want. Um, but mm-hmm. for this one, it was that it was just really being, um, smart and conservative in the beginning. And then, and then knowing that the plan was to push the last three to six hours, depending on how I felt the last three, for sure. The plan was to go as hard as I could. Um, and also we looked at the, the record. So the record I right. wanted, I wanted to try for three forty ish 343 i think we were thinking but the laps ended up being on the even five on the fives but we figured i could do 14.1 miles an hour for 24 hours and beat the record or i could go 13 ish for 
21 hours and 17 miles an hour for the last three and still beat the record. So we played around right. with the numbers, kind of what it would look like. But I knew, I knew as soon as I came out of the canyon and the wind was crazy and I was tucked into the smallest ball on my TT bike that I've ever ridden in, just completely tiny. And uh, I just thought, oh, there's just no way today. It's just the wind is out of control. Um, so I just stuck to the plan and, you know, I, I think, yeah, I, I pushed like a couple beats per minute heart rate over right where I should have. Cause I was going like 10 miles an hour and I was oh, like, I need man. to bump this up a little bit. Yeah. And so I took the Liberty to go a little bit faster, push a little bit harder. I should say there, um, take advantage of the like five seconds I had a tailwind. It seemed like, but, um, I think, yeah, that that's, most people plan to survive at the end. And my plan is always to push the hardest at the end. Yeah. So did you come by that? And it sounds like your whole journey through this, you've been coached pretty mm -hmm. much from the beginning. So did you come by that sort of honestly, or I know there's a story for a lot of people that they get into racing, they just rely on, and I'm, I'm throwing Josh a little under the bus here because I know he did this, <laughs> especially early on. Yeah. You just bring in this raw brute force, brute force athleticism and then you just pound and pound and pound until you find your limit. And then you get a lesson handed to you. Whereas other people, it sounds like maybe more your story. It's all data. It's all planned from the beginning. So you never hit that point where you sort of get, you get handed that, you know, that lesson in the humble middle of pie. a race. Yeah. The humble pie. Um, I think my coach would like me to do that more. Mm -hmm. I've just seen so many people blow up at the end of races and he's always warned me not to, that I'm scared to do that. So there's been times, there's a couple training sessions where I'm like, I'm out, I'm done. He's like, well, good. You need to feel what you need to yeah. do that. Cause I tend to err on the cautious side just cause the events are so long. And mm -hmm. um, my boss, Nick has a analogy of like, you go to the arcade and your parents give you a big bag of coins and you want to time it perfect so that you use your last coin as your parents are picking you up, right? You don't want to use yeah. them too quick because then you're sitting there twirling your thumbs, waiting for your ride, and you don't want your parents to come and you still have a whole bunch left, right? Right. So I, I kind of keep that in my brain, and so I'm, I just don't want to be on the wrong side of it. It's rare that I finish a race and think, oh, I had so much more to give. I think I've come close to the line. Mm -hmm. And Ultraman, I, like, my body went into shock after I pretty much gave everything I had, Um I, they put me on the massage table and I was like convulsing and my mom like was like, bye, can't be around you and oh, like wow. took off. Um, and I could say I gave, like, I couldn't walk like anymore after that. So yeah. um, I think uh, I've more just been coached to be careful, but I think he wishes that I would blow up a couple times. I think. <laughs> just to see. Yeah. So that's another uh, real quick question before we get to some other stuff. People who have spent their life in and around athletics and have been pushed from day one are used to that idea of you run till you throw up, you push till you convulse or, you know, you get mm -hmm. to that point of in shock. But it sounds like with athletics not being as big a part of your story early on, how did that become normalized for you where you said, yeah, this is totally cool. I just finished a race and I'm here convulsing. That's fine. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had been an athlete as a kid. I think if I had learned to ride a bike as a kid... I'd be able to do U-turns and I'd probably mountain bike, but I'm scared of everything because as an adult, you're more cautious. So I'm scared of everything <laughs> on the bike. I got a gravel bike. I'm like, oh, rock. Um, so I wish that I could have started as a kid. I think that would have been really helpful. Um, I learned to hurt on the run. 
Um, okay. I'd done a couple of 5Ks where I learned to just push myself till it was ugly. Uh, but I could not hurt on the bike. I couldn't. I took an FTP test and my coach was like, are you kidding? I was like, no, I did everything I had. He was like, no, no, you didn't at all. I'm like, yeah, it hurt. He's like, you don't know how. So I had to learn to hurt on the bike. I had to make myself ride till it hurt. So that was a learned skill. And on the swim, Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to swim harder because I just kept going easy all the time. Um, And that Ultraman, there ended up being a big storm that blew in halfway. And everyone was like some kayaks were tipping over. People were, you know, someone DNF, they just quit everyone's just getting eaten alive by the the waves and everything. The kayakers are like getting pelted. And I took a nutrition stop and my coach just looked at me and he was like, can you take it up a notch? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and I just took off and ended up second out of the water for the females. And he was like, I didn't know you could do that, but that was really cool. And I was like, you looked miserable. I was just trying to get us out of there. Um, and he's like, we now know from the data that was the hardest I'd ever pushed on the swim. Like we had never, I never wow. had been able to get my heart rate that high. Um, but yeah, I just had to learn how to hurt. And also um, there, I have a favorite book. I don't know if you've heard of it. How bad do you want it? Oh, I don't know this one. Um, I have an audio, an audio book. I've listened to it three times now before every big race. I re listen to it. Um, and how bad do you want it? And that's kind of what I tell myself now, like how mm. bad, how bad do you want this? Like, what are you willing? I put in three years for this race or I put in six months for this. I need to show that all of that was worth something. Like I, it, none of that means anything if I'm going to fall apart now. So that's usually how I get myself through at the end. Um, and also I've literally just said like everyone else is falling apart. It's time to get, it's time to get faster. Like they they didn't, they didn't plan well. I did. The plan is to, to go harder at the end and that's just what we're going to do. So. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I, I eat a lot of humble pie. <laughs> I'm one of those people who ends up on the side at some point because it's a, all right, go until I have nothing. And then every time I do that, the wall gets a little further out for the next race. And, and hopefully at some point, you know, the wall will be right at the finish. <laughs> I'm not there yet. <laughs> so I could use a little bit more of that planning. I think it's it's being okay with being last for a while is what I've had to learn. Like that was what coach really put in me. I would do these group rides. Like I said, I just had to get better at cycling. So in Austin area, they'd have all these, you know, 75 mile rides, 100 mile rides and all these people go and I didn't want to be last. I didn't want to be the last one up the hill. I didn't. And I'd fall apart. And a couple times on those, and he was like, you can't look at anyone else. You can't worry about anyone else. You have to do what you're supposed to do. Um, so I just know. I just start every race and just think, okay, I'm just going to be here in the back. I'll just be chilling. And when everyone, like on the triathlon, when everyone starts falling apart on the run, that's when I'm supposed to be going up the next notch. And it's it's worked. It's hard. It's hard to watch everyone pass you <laughs> and just be like, oh, I'll see you later. I'll probably, probably see you later. <laughs> <laughs> So are you a more competitive person against others, against yourself, against the clock? How would you characterize that? Because I don't know anybody who gets in this space who doesn't have some kind of a competitive drive, but it isn't always about just, I'm going to beat the next guy. Like sometimes it's about something in yourself. Like where would you rank yourself in that? I'd say in normal life, I'm not competitive at all. Okay. Like in everyday, like life, I don't, I don't care at all. Um, 
I have one good friend, shout out Shelly, you'll probably hear this, who uh, we used to share a coach and we were really competitive with each other. And we would go to races and just be like, I have to beat you and I have to beat you. And we're good friends. And we'd show, we'd drive to the race together <laughs> and still be like, I have to beat you. So there's always um, certain things that bring out a competitive side. And we ended up our first half Ironman distance finishing holding hands. Like we, we finished together. Um, and then the next year we were like, who's going to win? And I had really <laughs> strict directions of going certain heart rates. And, yeah. and she beat me by like an hour. And I was like, oh my that gosh, burns. Um, so there are times where I get competitive. And also we've learned um, I can let I can let things get in my head. So there was someone at the Ultraman race who um, was breaking some of the rules and I had to watch it over and over. And and I was getting tired. I'm on the double marathon day three. And I see this person running through every um, crosswalk. They're not pushing the button waiting for the crosswalk. And that's one of the rules. And she would be with me at the crosswalk. And then she literally looked at me, wave, went by, and then ran through it. And she just kept doing that. And I was oh, like, man. she's cheating. And coach later was like, that really got in your head. Like you could not let go that that girl did that. And it happened at the 24 hour race. Uh, I was getting lapped by someone over and over. And it was it was like three or four in the morning. And I'm thinking like, God was trying to win this race. And I was trying to set their record. And this girl is just going around me and around me. And I got to my crew and I was like, I'm not going to win. And then an hour or two later, I like snapped out of it and realized she was in the 12-hour race. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So um, I now realize that that affected me, just seeing that girl go around and around and around and not being too tired to process that no one who did what I had done so far could do that. <laughs> not right, anyone that's there. not humanly I mean, possible. I'm sure there yeah. are lots of pros and people who could, but from what I had seen there, like no one else should have been zipping around like that. And later I talked to her and I was like, man, you got in my head. And she's like, yeah, I'm on the 12 hour. And I was like, yeah, I know now. <laughs> Um, there's no distinguishing thing on, on us. And I was so tired. So it can be easy to let things get in your head. And, and, and then I, I did kind of fall asleep on the bike. I fell asleep enough to start to roll off the road. And the second I ended the pavement, my eyes flew open and that's when I, everything changed. Like I woke up and I was like, she was in the 12 hour race. I have a chance. And I went into transition to the pit area and I was like, get me my other bike. Get me this, get me this, get me this. I can still win this. And they just looked at me like, weren't you asleep a second ago? And <laughs> everything kind of turned around from there. So I can, yeah, 24 hours, those long events can play with your brain for sure. But I try to keep it as positive as I can. So aside from uh, falling asleep and waking back up, is there anything that you do to kind of snap out of it when things do get in your head or how do you have like a mental defense? Cause that, that is a long time to stay mm -hmm. consistent and patient. I think, well, part of it is that I train without music or anything like that where a lot of people ride with music or run with music. Mm -hmm. I saw that first year at Ultraman, I saw what happened when someone trained with music and then couldn't have it. You get used to, it's like a crutch. You get used to having that in your head. And, um, so I don't train, I, I do watch some TV on the, on the trainer now, but I feel like outside you have distraction of a view. So it, it's yeah. okay. So I, I do mentally try to train without making myself be used to my own head. 
like being in my own head, being okay. I like to play numbers games. So that's what I did the most. Um, okay. I've gone this, it's, it's been four hours and I've gone this many miles. So what mile per hour is that? And how many, if I stop and then, and it's four and a half hours and then how many miles is that? So I, I would say I spend 75% of the time of any race doing math, um, figuring out mile to mile, just trying to trick myself into things. Um, but it, it really comes back down to saying to myself over and over, like, how bad do you want this? How, how much are you willing to hurt? How you can sleep later. Like I tell myself that a lot. You're going to sleep later. Later, you're not even going to remember this. You're not even going to remember what this felt like and the pain. You're only going to remember what you could have done more or that like, which I am, I, I won and I'm still like, I could have done more. Um, so it's a lot of that. Um, you, how much time I've put in when I, did Ultraman, I moved to Hawaii for a month and then Florida for three weeks. And I have a bunch of animals at home with special needs. And I gave up a lot to, to not, I, I wasn't home for them. You know, I gave up a lot of responsibility at the bike shop. I just walked away from my whole life. So that, I think of that a lot too. Like you've given up hanging out with your friends. You haven't done this. You haven't done this. You haven't done these things to be right here and to win this. So now I have to prove to myself it was worth it. Yeah, that that is a lot going for you. <laughs> well, and that might answer a question again in that other that other interview of yours that we saw. Um, I believe you said something like, you know, what do you need to convince yourself to stay on the bike? Mm-hmm. Like that that's the question. So is that what you just told us? Is that pretty much what convinces you to stay on the bike? Yeah, yeah, and it. So at Ultraman, I hurt my knee, and I did all of day two with basically an ice pick in my kneecap. Um, by mile 130 of 171, I was screaming out loud, you can do it. Stay on your bike out loud. I I finished the day and couldn't speak. Um, and coach had me write down all the things I said like that night. He's like, write it all down. And later he was like, it's pretty impressive. (laughs) Like I never was like, I hate this. Like the whole time, like you train for this, like they're going to fall apart. You're going to get stronger. You spent so much time. And so I just try to be as positive in my talk as possible. Cause I think that's, that's it. But I'm, I'm stubborn. I'm a stubborn person in general. And when, when my crew member said, Oh, there was a girl that's beating you by one minute. When I like snapped out of it, she's like, you have the same lap. She's beating you by one minute. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> oh no, she's not. And it's I, I wrote in my notes, um, I haven't got to debrief with coach yet, but I wrote in my notes. I was like, you know, I kind of thought I could psych her out. Like if I got on my bike and had a couple fast laps, that's going to mess with her brain because all of a sudden this person's speeding up and I was like, I I can put a little bit of a gap and it kind of had the wind on my face, kind of woke up, Mm -hmm. got excited, heart rate kind of came up again. Um, But there was a little of that too. Like, can I psych that person out? And I knew I was stubborn enough. No matter what, I was going to ride the whole 24, like- no, I mean, yeah, no matter I, what. I was finishing the race and I was going to ride as hard as I could to win. If it was a couple minutes, I was time trialing the end. Like there was just no one was going to be more stubborn than me out there is how I felt. So and I was right. That girl, I think, didn't I think she quit at 21 hours and change. She's or not 21, 24, 23 hours and change. I don't think she finished the whole 24 hours. So, wow. I was like, oh, no. And I was like, tell me where if, if she's winning. And they're like, we can't. There's no data. I'm like. Well, stand here and time her. Like, tell me, <laughs> yeah. is she winning? Is she behind me? I I thought they made her up for a while. 
I couldn't find number 20. <laughs> wow. I was like, where's number 20? I keep looking. I'm like, did they make her up to make me ride faster? Um, at Ultraman 2, there was a girl that was close to me in time. And I just kept thinking she was behind me. And coach kept saying, once they're behind you, they're gone. You don't mm. worry about them. Yeah. When they're behind you, they're gone. And I kept saying, where is she? Is she coming? Where is she? Where is she? And when I finished the race, I was literally convulsing, wrapped in three foil blankets on the massage table. And I was like, did she come through yet? Did I win? <laughs> and they're like, oh, she's like way back there. We yeah. didn't tell you because we thought you'd walk. And I was like, oh, that's maybe smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you, you talk a lot about your crew assisting in different areas. Mm -hmm. What What does it look like to have a crew and how have they supported you through these races? Oh, they're your lifeline. I mean, at Ultraman, you have a kayaker with you the whole time. You're, um, you have a van and they follow you. They leapfrog you on the bike the whole time, giving you nutrition and everything. Um, and then you can have pacers at Ultraman on the run. And my, I had, my crew took turns for a while and then my coach was with me kind of at go time and ran with me most, more than second half. Um, but they're everything and they, Having people that know you is really good. Like at one point, the girl who who I thought, you know, was breaking some rules and was really in my head, she was just ahead of me a little. And coach got in with me and he goes, let's go beat her. Let's go get her. And I was like, yeah, maybe later. And he was like, what? We need to get yeah. her some more calories. Like he could tell just from that statement that I wasn't quite okay. And um, having people that know you that well, there was one point on the bike, he said, okay, at mile 112, you're going to push. So all day I knew mile 112, Ironman distance, 112, I'm going to push mile 100. He's like, time to go. And I was like, oh, I don't have a case of the, what I say? Um, I have a case of the maybe laters, not the, I don't want us, but the maybe laters. And he was like, what on earth? Like, yeah. no, it's time to go. So having someone, having your crew there it, it, this past weekend, two of my friends, they came to Ultraman, but they weren't on my official crew. They were kind of house crew. They helped make dinners and get stuff. And if we needed something, they could bring it to us on the road. And they were my full-time crew. They were like, we leveled up from house crew to like real crew. Um, and at one point, I was like, I need to lay down. Like my wrists were on fire. I couldn't shift. I couldn't feel my hands anymore. And she goes, you get four minutes. And I was like, four? So I laid down on the ground, all in my clothes and with my hands in the air. And I was like, I can't feel my fingers. Everything's spinning. And she was like, I just had a baby four weeks ago. I just left all three of my children with my husband to be here with you. Like, you need to get up and get on your bike. And I was like, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> wow. So kind of having, you know, they feed you, they take care of you, they, anything you need, you know, they're there, they're problem solving. So you don't have to deal with the problem. If something goes wrong, they don't tell me, you know, they're just deal with it. And in all of these races, it's so important. And after I just cried and, you know, like you just have these people that kept you alive and being mm -hmm. on crew is my favorite. Um, I've crewed for lots of Ultramans and other races and just, uh, I think it's a good bonding experience. It's a good learning experience on how to treat people. And, um, when you volunteer at events too, like when you, then you are the racer, you just have a little more empathy on what it's like to be on the other side. Well, and it's worth noting at this point that right now, Caroline is actually in the lead when it comes to crewing this show. since so she's <laughs> the first guest to have actually brought us baked goods to the interview. <laughs> there is a plate that used to have some very delicious chocolate chip banana bread on it which there's gonna have to be more of after this so note to future guests <laughs> the bar has been set 
And I'm guessing that if you're on crew for somebody else, they're going to eat well. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty true. Um, there's, yeah, it's just a lot. It's, it's being, being someone's crew is, is I think an honor and, um, I don't know. It's, it's my favorite, even little things here with racing not happening last year, the apex, the it's four day, three day apex, mm-hmm. um, event. I ended up like crewing four or five people cause everyone needed like a race mom and there wasn't anyone to be there. And so, um, it was like, the most fun. And I'm a clumsy person. Like I fell just walking on the trails they were riding on, but being out there and handing bottles and making sure they're okay and carrying their stuff before and after the race. And just even, even it not in my own sport was, is really a really fun thing to do too. So. That's great to hear. It's so, it's so fun to, to see people getting involved in whatever aspect. And uh, yeah, if you need more crew on a race, uh, it would be fun to join you at some point. Sounds well, like you watch amazing. you watch what you say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can't even get you to go ride. That's what I need. Sometimes I just need a riding buddy, but my rides are so slow. It's like, hey, five hours at you know, one fourteen heart rate, and you're like, who wants to go with me to that? So. <laughs> well, you know, uh, knobby tires. We tend to go slower, so maybe we can work something out. But you hit on something that I think is really important, and something that probably is lost on. A lot of people, at least in the mountain bike world, until you get to a certain level of racing, and that is the community aspect around even one person trying to do one thing. Like mountain bike can be very individualistic. It's just you out there on the trail, or it's just you in the middle of a race that is short enough. You can manage your own nutrition. You can mm-hmm. crew yourself. You can do whatever. But it sounds like there's a much different world that you found yourself in now where there is no one person event, even if it's a solo category, that's a group effort. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I mean, Ironman events, you're, you know, you're on your own. They have some aid stations and that kind of thing. But most of the events I do, um, 10 K swims, you have a kayaker with you, you know, Ultraman, the 24 hours and it's, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't do it alone. There's just, you know, not one of those things. And that's kind of what makes it special and, and fun too. You know, you're not there by yourself. And when you win or you do well, everyone's excited. Everyone, you know, feels like you they won. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. So getting to that point though, um, you mentioned this earlier, and this was sort of on our list of things other people might not expect about you. Seven animals waiting for you at home. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it was more, but I, I just kind of end up, like I run an animal shelter basically from the house by accident, but I had a, at the time when I went into Ultraman, I had a diabetic cat, an epileptic cat. Like I had like some, my dog is a lunatic uh, who eats everything in my house. So they're all kind of special needs. Um, <laughs> and I lost two, one right before I went to Hawaii and then one the week I got back from Ultraman. Um, but my aunt passed away and I ended up with her cat. So now I'm back four cats and yeah it's a lot but i'm a sucker so i i think in 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 general i tend to take in strays animals and people so i have a bunch of stray animals and then i'm the same with people if i meet someone and they're i can tell they're going through something or they're sad or they need something i just am like come here let me make you some dinner and then that's just kind of how it goes (laughs) (laughs) so that that does hit on one thing though And you mentioned this earlier a little bit about the sacrifice and what you've given up to be where you are and how much that weighs on you in a race. 
Um, but that's, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people maybe don't factor in when they get into sports like this. So they set a goal out ahead of themselves. It's really big, whether that's as big as an Ironman or an Ultraman mm-hmm. is recognizing what you sacrifice to get there overall in your life. And so far, would you say that that's been worth it? Oh yeah. 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 It's not a sacrifice that I'm sad about. Um, I love the sport more than anything, um, really. And when I remind myself, it's just, it's a race is kind of your victory lap, right? Like you've put in all the work and then the race is the victory lap and to remember why you're there. But I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it any other way. I say it's hard to keep a relationship going because the race came first. It did. It just did. And they knew that. Like, I, sorry, I can't go on this vacation. I have to train. Sorry, I can't do this party or this because I have to get up early and train. And and that's my choice. And I, I'm not mad about it. That's just how it is. And triathlon can be a kind of lonely sport. Um, I work now part-time at Pikes Peak Athletics and there's a triathlon, you know, team. So mm-hmm. they get to do training together. But the the kind of level and the racing I do, it's so specific it's hard, like I said, like, hey, I have five hours at a, you know, 114 to 130 beats per minute. Well, finding someone else who can ride that long, who wants to go at my pace, you know, that's hard. Or when I was speed walking, I had a six hour speed walking. It was like five hours of speed walking and an hour of running. No one wants to walk five hours with me. No one wants to run. You know, it's it's hard to find anyone. So it's kind of a lonely sport in that way but there are lots of triathlon clubs where people excuse me people do get to do stuff together but it's not so much me well hopefully that changes to some extent as uh as more people get involved in the sport um and more people in the springs as well it'd be be great have more of a community yeah that's part of what this podcast is about not just for the mountain biking community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just for the bikers, although they probably need a little help. Well, we're known. I mean, it's, I guess, in the bike shop world, triathletes are known for being, like, really bad on bikes. Um, like, not knowing about them and not having good handling skills. And it's just kind of a thing. And people will come in. They always make fun of triathletes. And I have, like, a triathlon, like, tattooed on my leg. It's very obvious that, like, I have the sports on me. Like, it's very obvious I'm, like a triathlete and I hear people joke I'm like well they aren't kind of they aren't wrong like we're not we're not the best at bikes really and we ride around with no hands so you know could, could you walk us through like a, a day in the life of a training triathlete or ultra ultra triathlete like yourself like what time do you wake up to get going I'm usually six I'm lucky that I work 10 to 6 so I don't go to work super early like a lot of people um, and that's a blessing working at the bike shop where I can say, Nick, I need to leave for a month. I need to leave for this. I have this race, you know, within reason, they're really, uh, accommodating for that kind of thing, but the schedule's good 10 to six. So I usually wake up around six. Sometimes I have one training or two. It depends. Like for when I was ultra time getting up, I'm, you know, uh, swimming for an hour or so, uh, or I have some kind of strength routine in the morning first, then a swim then I work all day and then I'll come home and I'll have a, a 90 minute bike ride or a, an hour run or hour 15 run. So usually a training or two in the morning and one after, and then my days off were all training. So, um, wake up, get everything ready, train for six hours, wash everything, get everything put away, eat and basically go to bed. So yeah, not a lot of time to do anything else. 
And that may not surprise anybody, just the raw number of hours that mm-hmm. it takes to cover that kind of mileage, to keep that kind of training base. But what about recovery? Because obviously for anybody at that level, rest and recovery are just as important as pushing your body to the limit. Yeah. If my coach had his way, I wouldn't work at all. Um, you know, I wouldn't have to worry about being at work because then I could recover more. But uh, we, I do a lot of active recovery. I have a couple days off a month, depending on what was going on in the in the schedule. But mostly I'll have a swim as a recovery or which is funny because to me, I'm like, OK, I have an hour, 45 minute recovery swim. And my biking friends are like, I can't swim for like 10 minutes. Like, how is that recovery? Like, <laughs> I, I get out of the water. I was literally just thinking that in my right, head. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I I get, get out of the, the water and everything hurts and I'm out of breath. I'm like, no, because I've just learned how to swim easy. So um, I think in all the sports, I had to learn how to be super easy and I've had to learn how to push. So um, a lot of, of walks, like today I had a hour walk on a soft surface. Like that was my recovery. You know, I'm still getting my heart moving. I'm still moving, but it's easy on my body. And I have a whole team of people. I have the personal trainer who's worked on my imbalances so I don't have the knee pain. I have the chiro- the chiropractor who works on me. I have the physical therapist who works on me. I have the massage therapist who works on me. So I have all these people that are also constantly trying to make sure that I'm a whole human. If you don't mind my asking, how does that work out? Because a lot of people try to move higher into athletics, run into one barrier or another, one of them being money and the other one being time. Mm-hmm. And it's usually either, well, I could work this job and afford coaches and trainers and all that stuff, or I could you know, have all this, but then I can't work. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it was up to me, I definitely would work like half time. I think that yeah. would be so ideal. Um, but I am in a place where I just started buying houses young. Okay. Uh, 22. And then I was able to sell every house at a profit to a point where my mortgage is pretty low. I can afford to work where I do and the amount of hours that I do. Um, I'm just at the barely on the full time line right now. Um, and also it was a conversation with my coach, like, here are your priorities. Your priority is this personal trainer to get your body imbalanced, you know, balanced out. Yeah. And these are the things you have to do. Um, and that's okay with me. I don't like, I'm a simple person. I don't go shopping and buy fancy things and I don't need a lot. So I think where other people are buying the newest iPhone and the fancy TV and the new laptop, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to get some components for my bike and I'm going to go to the chiropractor <laughs> and I'm okay with that. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of priorities have to be aligned for that to, to work well, but it's, it's fun to hear your story and how these have progressed over, or you, you really just started this Four or five years ago? 2015 was the first little super sprint. I'd say 2016 was where I got a real interest. Then in 2017, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. So I'd say from about then, I mean, I still wasn't good at anything. Still trying to think of I finish, but I knew then that that was what I wanted. Do you have uh, a thought on what your best day and worst day have been, either in training or in racing? Yeah. Is a theme question we're trying to ask everybody that comes on. Hmm. Like ever? Well, like within, within the context of racing, yeah. Like what is the deepest, darkest hole or, or training, you know, basically something around your sport. What is the moment where you thought, I'm done, screw this. I was wrong. I'm going to go start playing chess. <laughs> or, or on the other side, the elation of just, it doesn't get better. Um... 
Oh, it's hard. I would say Ultraman was my favorite weekend, but it was also super painful um, in a, in a really hard way because of the knee pain that I was in. But the Iron Man was maybe my favorite single day because I I also wasn't racing it with uh, trying to give everything I had. I was racing it within parameters. But I finished just feeling so good. Like I finished and I was like, that was just fun. <laughs> and all my friends were like, aren't you supposed to be like doubled over in pain at the end of an Ironman? I was like, well, that wasn't my plan for the day. My plan was to follow these things and do these things. And I just remember smiling and laughing the whole day. And my coach was there and, and my friend Grace, who just crewed me this past weekend. And at, at Ironman Arizona, you're never more than a mile and a half from the finish, just the way the race is. So for the marathon, you just kind of zigzag back and forth. And I just kept seeing them and they're like, you're still running. You're still smiling. And I was like, this is the best day. Like, of course, I'm still smiling. <laughs> so I think even though Ultraman might be my favorite weekend, um, I think that Ironman day was like, gosh, I love this sport. Like, I love to be here. And I'm so lucky. Every race I do, I think that I'm so lucky that I get to be here. And even when I hurt, like there are people who don't have legs and there are people who are in hospital beds. Like, I'm so lucky that I can even hurt like this and I can feel this way and I can be here. So I'd say Ironman for that. And I think my worst day, we this day comes up when coach and I talk he he pulls up this day in my training often and I had a run in Austin and he told me run this you know you had to run this pace at this heart rate and if you go over this heart rate you're done and I was done real fast like real fast and I wrote him a whole book on why I'm never going to be able to do it and I you know I I my heart rate went too high right away and I'm never going to be able to run this fast and I'm never going to be able to do this and I'm so slow right now and it's so hard and I'm never going to be a runner. And now I look at those numbers. I'm like, oh, that was, oh, wow, I've come a long way. And every once in a while, he's like, hey, go check out whatever the date, you know, June blah blah of 2017 or 2018 and go look at that and read that again. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I really thought I was really bad and I was just really new. So just uh, not, I don't know, now I can turn it around and look at it in a positive way of how far I've come. But that day, I thought I was the worst ever. Yeah, for sure. That obviously wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's hard. Not. It's hard when you like, okay, I just run a sub two half marathon. And then your directions are to run, you know, with your heart rate in a certain pace, your heart rate in a certain range. And I was running like 16 minute miles. And I was like... I used to run like eight something minute miles. I'm I'm walking, but I'm I'm kind of shuffling, and it was hard to to start the program and to be knocked down so far and then start back. But it was worth it. As your place on the podium would show, <laughs> as it turns out. So before we get into the last couple of questions, let's imagine somebody out there is listening, or even just myself, and I said. This sounds crazy, but maybe my kind of crazy. I am nowhere near that distance, but I think I want to try. Generally speaking, what comes to your mind? What would you tell people, either in way of encouragement or warning, or here's what you're getting into, if you want to go from human distances to like that Ultraman kind of thing? Um, I'd say the first thing, um, ooh, the first thing is just to make sure you can be consistent. Um, there are days where I felt like I had a bad workout or anything. And it's just a reminder of, I show up every day, like every day, even if it's not, I don't think my best day, 
I don't skip. I don't skip days. Um, and that's, I, I've always said, I don't feel like I have a lot of talent. I've never, I'm not a super fast person on any of them, any of the sports. Um, and I didn't grow up doing them and I'm not always the best skilled, but I show up every day and I put in the work every day and what that looks like and the sacrifice and how you get there is important. And I have people who want, they say they want to. And then when it comes to it, they're like, oh, but I really want to do this other thing and this other thing and this other thing instead. I'm like, well, then you, you're not doing it. So no, being consistent and committing to showing up every day. Um, and also just building a good aerobic base. Like you have to be aerobically strong to do these events. You can't race at the at your max effort for 24 hours you can't but you can get strong enough aerobically where i wasn't pushing particularly hard the whole time you know and right. you find a place where you can just go forever at that pace um it's different racing than for speed and and those people need to learn how to hurt and push and hurt and i need to learn you know i had to learn how to just stay on my bike how to just keep going no matter what and just know my body can handle it because I put in the years of aerobic work. Gotcha. So at the other end of the spectrum is, are you ever going to be on a mountain bike? Are we ever going to find you on a trail? So I got a gravel bike in hopes of helping my handling skills. And I did the um, Grit 90 gravel race in October, I think it was. Um, And it was my fourth time on a gravel bike. Good, good plan, right? Yeah. Um, and my coach was like, you know what? Just go for it. Like, whatever you want to do, however you feel, just go for it. And I was like, well, I don't get to do that too often. So I'm just going to see what happens. And uh, I, it was a lot of fun. I had to walk my bike a couple times. And uh, I ended up seeing someone on the side who had a flat. And I stopped with him for five minutes and then found out I missed the podium by five minutes. Oh. <laughs> but at the same time, I didn't go there. Like, I went to have fun. Um, and afterward, my friend Matt was like, you know, that was kind of more like a mountain bike course than a gravel course. Like, he's like, you rode the whole thing? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that was kind of impressive. <laughs> so I felt really good later because I didn't know the difference. Like, I didn't know what was a hard yeah. gravel or mountain bike. So he's like, that was some of those parts were really technical. And I was like, I had to walk up a hill because I lost my momentum on the rocks and I like had to walk part of the hill, but the rest I rode. So I don't know my, my poor, my poor gravel bike, all the sealants dried up and it's sitting in the corner and it's pretty sad right now. So I don't know about mountain. I'm really clumsy and all the guys at the shop like crash and puncture lungs and break things. And I kind of live myself, like I live in a bubble. Like if I could be in bubble wrap all the time, I would so that I don't hurt myself for a race. So I'm I'm hearing in there that there's there's still a slight chance. Yeah, so you're saying so, there's a chance. That's that's how thinking, it ends. Yeah. I yeah, the gravel might be the most off road that I get, but um, I don't know. I don't know. Have Have you had a crash on mm-hmm. the road? Wow, that's no, that's I'm scared of everything. <laughs> Knock on wood. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I hope. Yeah, I hope for, you don't have to experience that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always err, I think, too much on the side of caution. My coach said once, like, just kind of, I think you need to crash. Like, not get hurt, but, like, I think you just need to fall over on your bike and just find out that you're going to be okay. But I'm the one out there, like, with my mirror on and, like, <laughs> looking for cars everywhere and um, 
pretty much being as careful, slowing down at all the turns, being like super cautious when everyone else like zooms by me and then I have to pass them again. So pass them again. Yeah. That's pass a key, them again. key That's, point right there. Yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could keep this going for any amount of time, but we do have to bring it to a close at some point. So Caroline, thank you so much for being here with us today. This has been awesome. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's our pleasure. Absolutely. Well, you'll probably be seeing me at the bike shop for sure, because we mountain bikers tend to break things and need to replace them. And especially now, COVID, there's no place to get bike parts. So the local bike shop, even more important than ever. So yeah, you'll probably be seeing us. And uh, I guess we'll wave if we see somebody riding somewhat slowly forever out on the road. Yeah, that's probably me. (laughs) If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.